March's biggest tournament is finally here. We do not know who will be cutting down the nets at the end, but we do know there will be no shortage of madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog, win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Pick one of many select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256. All it takes is a $4 bet. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. That's code THPN to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a great show for you guys today, mainly because we are in great spirits as the Penguins are rocking a five-game winning streak. Count them five time, five time, five time straight W's for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if you are a wrestling fan, you'd get that reference as well, which also leads to our guest coming to the show today. Brian Metzer will be joining us from Pittsburgh Radio Network to talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh Penguins as well as some music interest and some wrestling interest. So stay tuned for that interview coming up a little bit later. But before we do that, we had a great weekend, or should I say a decent weekend of hockey from the Pittsburgh Penguins picking up all four points in Buffalo. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the John Marino quote-unquote injury. But before we do that, I want to welcome my host, as always, who is fumbling around with his pen yeah. now, Horwat. Nick Horwat, how's it going? It's going good. I dropped my pen because, uh, you know, I can't sit still. So whenever we do this, I usually have a pen or something in my hand. If you've seen the recordings, you've seen <laughs> it. Um, and as a matter of fact, I want to quickly shout you out for um, posting that one clip of you going on a point about Teddy Bluger and me immediately pulling out my notebook and looking like I am not paying attention one <laughs> bit. Uh, I just had to say that I was taking notes, diligent notes, because I had a story on Teddy Bluger I was writing and you were making phenomenal points that I forgot about. So I had to take notes and uh, I'm a student of the podcast, if you will. I was taking notes on the whole damn thing. And plus, I just always have a pen in my hand. If you've seen the recordings, you've seen it. It's, it's a red one this week. <laughs> To be fair, I wasn't trying to make you look bad whenever I go through and pick out these one hits and these these quick one minute previews. I'm looking for the audio of it nope. and I'm I'm listening for the audio and then I just clip it and then whatever video is there is what video is there. So I did not mean to call you out on social media for that, but if, if that's how it worked, you were studying up is that's what we'll say. You were studying up, and I know that's what you were You're doing. You're totally okay with doing that. It's just every time you post a clip that's got video in it, I am checking myself because I can never sit still. So I'm always <laughs> making sure I'm not doing something 
A, stupid, B, gross, or C, I don't know, just if I'm making sure I look like I'm paying attention and involved. I swear I'm always listening to you, just sometimes the, the phone goes off a little, you know, sometimes I need to take notes. Sometimes I'm making sure I'm on the right point of the podcast on the rundown. Like, things got to happen behind the scenes on this end. So, just got to make sure I'm in check. So I don't, And I like the video stuff. I think it's a little more interesting. It makes this background effing worth it. <laughs> there you go, man. Well, there you go. We had first three minutes by, by breaking the fourth wall here on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. But let's get back into the action right now. The Penguins, of course, sweep the series in Buffalo, finally getting to play the Buffalo Sabres. Winning on Thursday by a score of five to two, winning on Saturday by a score of three to nothing. And Horwat, what were your thoughts? Let's start on Thursday. Uh Thursday, Thursday. Thursday was the I'm trying to catch up on the game. Five to two. That was the five to two. That was the K that was the not the shutout, the other one. The Jari almost goal game. Beautiful. Um that was the game I was texting you a lot during because I got home from delivering and I said, Does something feel off about the vibes of this game? Because it did. I mean it was, I think it was still two to two when I texted you that because I was getting this feeling of both teams don't look like they want to be there. The Sabres just don't mm-hmm. want to be there because they're playing hockey in Buffalo right now. And the Penguins just didn't look like they wanted to be there because they weren't, I mean, they didn't dominate pretty much any of either game, but um, they weren't playing to their expectations, I felt like, and it was pulling them back a little. So it just felt like the vibes of the game felt off and. I don't know if it was because there was also no crowd noise, it seemed. that one, It just seemed like a dead arena where you could hear every little thing. And I just felt weird watching the entire Thursday game. It was very, not unsettling, but it felt awkward almost. It felt like a college game, but with professional athletes. Well, to be fair, the Buffalo Sabres are basically a college team at this point. And it's not like that building hasn't been dead for the past three years anyway. The thing about the Buffalo Sabres, though, is their lineup... Um, that lineup be good. That lineup five years ago would have been killer. Yeah, killer. I mean, especially if you can even go six years ago and just kind of input Jack Eichel in there. But there's so many names on that team where you have the top line that would be amazing. You know, four or five years ago, then you have the depth that might be able to do something. I mean, it's so strange. The only their only issue five years ago would have been goaltending, but I mean. Carter Hutton is the known penguin killer, apparently. He is. And he almost got him again on Saturday. Yeah. But, I mean, for Thursday, like that's a team that would have been so good five years ago. Stick them in a time machine, and they're a scary, scary bunch. But for now, um, it's brutal. It's not good. And, my God, there is so much blue on, that, on your screen when you play in Buffalo. Was I the only one that was kind of distracted by it? I mean, it helped that on Thursday the Penguins wore the home jerseys and the Buffalo Sabres were in white, which, again, extends the Penguins' streak. They still have not lost in their home blacks this season. There you go. Even while playing on the road, they have not lost in their home black jerseys. That's, a good, that's good stuff. I mean, it was, like I said, it felt like an awkward game. It felt slow, but once we picked it up a little, I think once Gensel picked, picked up his goal, things shifted a little. You can tell there was a little mm-hmm. more juice in the Penguins, but um, just the dead silence excuse me, in the air, and I saw someone tweet, I forget who it was, because, you know, Pittsburgh, this goes for all Pittsburgh sports, have this tendency to, you know, play down to the competition, to inferior Mm -hmm. opponents. There was something different about this Penguins game where we kind of were aware that we do that, 
and we took it seriously. We took it like it was a regular game. There was no celebration on that power play goal, none. And someone pointed that out on Twitter, and I made a great note of that because um, these are games you want to take seriously. The position we're in, the season that it is, yeah, that's a bad team. You can't lose these points, though. You cannot. Yeah. And the Penguins got the job done in that aspect. I mean, you go into Buffalo with four points on the line, and you come out with four points on your standings and, and that's exactly what you wanted you know by hook or by crook or as we always say here this season it's not a matter of how many or it's a matter of not how but how many and, and the penguins got all four points over the weekend and i love that you mentioned the fact that they played down to their opponents i know a lot of people mentioned that i don't know which specific tweet you saw but i know uh hunter hodes of locked on pens he he talked about that a lot last week and even Chris Letang had that cookie cutter comment about, hey, you got to take every game seriously. Uh, you never want to take a team lightly, especially if they have nothing to play for. That makes them even more dangerous. Like they have nothing to lose. It was cookie cutter. And you could tell that it, he came out with that as a good PR move and just to make it seem like they're not going in there looking past them. But listen, the Pittsburgh Penguins are right now on a five game winning streak after two wins there. The Buffalo Sabres have now lost, what, 10 or 11 straight games. They're on their way to a, not just lottery pick, but a top five pick in the next year's draft, and it seems like a never-ending cycle for them. They're going to be big sellers at the trade deadline. There was news and kind of rumblings, not really news, but rumors that Eric Stahl could be on the move and he could be a, a possible target for the Penguins. You never know what's going to happen with Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel, who is now going to be missing an extended period of time for the Buffalo Sabres. It's not good in Buffalo. And the thing is, when we play them, it still ends up being a close game, but not an entertaining game somehow. You can go back to last season, the, the season opener of 2020-2021, or 2019-20 season. The season opener in Pittsburgh, it ended up being a 3-1 to win for the Sabres. Connor Sherry scored a goal in that game. But it was not a good game, but it was a close game. And, and I think you saw the same thing on Thursday and Saturday. Yeah, it it is one of those teams that you, know, you brought up that Latang quote where it's, yeah, it sounded cookie cutter. If you want something not cookie cutter, Phil Bork had a great little anecdote about Buffalo's situation because he was discussing about a time that after he left Pittsburgh, he went to play in New York but got traded to Ottawa shortly after. Mm -hmm. And he was on one of those very bad, not so good Ottawa teams. Um, yeah. That, you know, and they were aware of how bad they were. That's That was the Ottawa situation then. Um, they knew how bad they were, and they had Detroit. I believe they were going to Detroit, he was telling the story. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a Detroit team that that I think won the Cup that season or around that year. High-flying, really good Detroit Red Wings team. And the Ottawa Senators beat them. And Bork told the story of, you would have thought we won the Cup after that game because we, we <laughs> knew we were bad. But we went out there and we beat one of the top teams in the league, and we we're just enjoying ourselves. We we're having a good time because they let us stay in it. And I think this was the kind of, kind of the key that I was following for the rest of the, that two game series was don't let them stay in it. Don't let mm -hmm. them feel like they have an opportunity to kind of go all out and say, Hey, we're in this. Maybe we can do something here. The Thursday game scared me a little when it was two to two and we were letting them stay in it, but you know, we didn't take our foot off the pedal and Buffalo was Buffalo. So I think that little anecdote is something to keep an eye on for the rest of the season against uh, Buffalo and, to an extent, New Jersey. Something mm -hmm. to keep an eye on. You don't want to let the bad teams stick around in the game because they will just 
figure it out because they are still an NHL hockey team with some NHL hockey players <laughs> and that can get it done. So with good players, I mean, let's be honest. Like I just said, five years ago, this team would have been great. There's These are guys that can still do something. You can't let mm-hmm. them stick around in a game like that. So that's something to watch going forward in these Buffalo games is don't let them stick around. You know, foot on the throat, crush it first period. Don't let them get into it. Um, which, obviously, we let them stick around in the first game. And the Saturday game was... It was frightening at points, I thought. It was definitely an interesting performance from the Pittsburgh Penguins to notch their fifth straight W. And we'll talk about just kind of the highlights of the weekend. And for one, I think Jake Gensel, which is why I have his jersey behind me right now, it's nice to see him starting to put games back-to-back-to-back where he's scoring. Now he has three goals in three straight games, some power play goals, which is something that he had only had one before this weekend. So it's good to see Gensey start to heat up, especially if you're from in Pittsburgh right now because then you're getting half off Jake Shakes, and it's just a good t- time for everybody. Every day. That place is going to go bankrupt, man. Should have latched on to somebody like, I don't know, Mark Jankowski, who we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> good. Um, but if – I mean, if you're going to talk about you know, Jake Gensel's performance, I think you got to bring up how um, the hell are their names now? Malkin and Kapanen have just decided to um, just become best friends. And, <laughs> I, and oh, my God, watching those two play is a gift. It is a gift yeah. at this point. I mean, yeah, Sar- Saturday may not have been their best, but there was something about, you know, pretty much – the six games prior that mm-hmm. really put just a great taste in your mouth and knowing that these two are going to be dangerous once I don't even know once what they're they're playing great now and they have Evan Rodriguez on their left side or right side whichever one Kaplan doesn't play yeah it, it's nice to see a two-person line basically be able to go out there and produce at the level that they are not to say anything too too bad about Evan Rodriguez he's an NHL player and he's Listen, he's a good fill-in for a top six when two of your top six wingers are down. So he's getting the job done for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think the real test is going to be coming up here on Monday and Tuesday. But I digress to that point. It's nice to see Malkin specifically get back to the game that he needs to be at. And right now, Kasperi Kapanen is playing at a 70-point pace in a regular 82-game season. So that's definitely above and beyond the call of duty for Kasperi Kapanen. And you just absolutely love to see it if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. And I'm sure Jim Rutherford is somewhere smiling right now about the fact that Kasperi Kapanen is lighting it up for the Pittsburgh Penguins with Evgeny Malkin, nonetheless. With Evan Rodriguez, nonetheless. Yeah, well... The one he traded away to get Kasperi Kapanen and then got back. Yeah, exactly. So those guys are doing really well. I know we talked a little bit with Brian Metzer, so we won't go too far into those those two and, and their current chemistry that they have going on. But I did say something about the fourth line. Thursday, they finally score a goal, and this one was on a goaltender. Anthony Angelo scores on his hometown team, the Buffalo Sabres, his second career goal in the NHL finally breaking through for that fourth line, which over the weekend was Angelo, Jankowski, and Sevier getting back in the lineup after being put on waivers last week. So it was nice to see that fourth line finally pot a goal. They had played a couple of good games against the Rangers earlier in the week. Saturday wasn't the best outing for them, although Mark Jankowski was able to get his first goal since the season opener. And you just need a little bit more from them. Obviously not a great performance on Saturday overall, 
Nice to see Jankowski's name on the score sheet, whether it be an empty netter or not. And it's really strange because when that happened, I thought he had scored two goals in Philly earlier in the season, but it turns out he had only scored one. And he scored the very first goal of the season. Do we all remember what we felt when we saw Jankowski put that puck past Carter Hart? I know for, for one fact, I looked at it and said, wow, Jankowski, only 775K or whatever it is for this year, already has a goal. Little did I know exactly two months later, he would finally be scoring his second on an empty net. I think I said, hey, we have a third line center finally. Yeah. <laughs> Talk Bad takes exposed. Ugh. Here we are two months later talking about his second. Great stuff. Just Hey, you know what? It was one of those situations where you saw the empty net. I think it was Bluger who had it. You saw Jankowski skating with him. I think I said out loud, give it to him. Give it to him. Just, Cause just because. You never know. You know what? It, it was ob- an obvious choice for Anthony Angelo to give the helmet at the end of the game to Casey DeSmith, mm-hmm. who picked up the first shutout for the Pittsburgh Penguins all season. We did it. We finally did it. It was an obvious choice, but I think the comical choice would have been him giving it to Mark Jankowski because, you know, empty net or not, the monkey should be off his back a little bit. Oh, absolutely. A little bit. He was on the score sheet. Yeah, it's because it was a it was a goal that happened when the team was playing good. Because, let's be honest, yeah. his first goal, the team did not look good that game. And, yeah, it was an important one. Plus, if you – I mean – one day at the end of the season, let's say he goes on a tear. Maybe this was just the first goal of it. We're not going to say it was the first point in an eight-game point streak. We're going to say it was or it was an empty net goal You know that led to this. It, we're going to say it was the first point on an eight-game point streak or something like that. You don't notice it's an empty net when you're looking at the paper stats for the most part until you look a little deeper into it. But And it says EN. Yeah. But, I mean, if <laughs> let's say this does lead to something good for him, you know, it's a starter it is something to get going with i mean a point is a point especially for a guy like that who hasn't had any and hasn't had much the past season and a half or two seasons i forget how long it's been since he was he definitely had a rough year last year with the calgary flames and it, it seems as if the change of scenery hasn't really fixed all of those errors but you never know, like you said, he could come back in the second half and literally we're asking him to be a decent fourth-line center. That's that's what we're asking of him. And, and who knows, maybe reinforcements are on the way. I know McCann might get healthy sometime here in the next week or so. If he comes back, you have to imagine that he gets Evan Rodriguez, who as a fourth-line player, Evan Rodriguez is a step up from a guy like Colton Sebier. And I don't know, I, I feel like Anthony Angelo, with a little bit more time, could become a half-decent fourth-liner in the NHL and... and be a guy that could possibly stick with the NHL roster. I'm not sure if he's quite there yet. Yeah, just the way he plays. He's got the big body that he sits in front of the net, and he likes to use it. He likes to throw his weight around. I think that was one of the underrated parts of his game for the past two games, is that he wasn't afraid to um, show that he's a big man out there, show mm-hmm. that he's able to you know really do something and perform. So it would it's going to take a little more still, I think, a little bit more time a little bit more you know elbow grease to really get him in an everyday lineup but for now it's a good um it's a good growing point to start mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you just hope that he continues on from that, same way you hope that Mark Jankowski continues on for that, because as we're going to talk about in a couple minutes, there's a big couple of games coming up, and we would obviously like to continue to see fourth-line scoring, for sure. But for right now, I know we talked about it a little bit on our episode last Thursday, but congratulations again to Mike Sullivan, who on Thursday, with the 5-2 victory over the Buffalo Sabres, notched his 300th career head coaching win, and I finally do have the stat in front of me. He is the fourth American-born coach to do so, behind, of course, John Tortorella, Peter Laviolette, and old Danny Bilesma. So he is inching closer, ever so closer, to Danny Bilesma, I believe, on the number one in Penguins history head coaching wins, but... He is top four for American-born coaches. And I saw increasingly that a lot of people last week were saying that if the NHL is allowed to go to the Olympics in 2022, that Mike Sullivan is the leading candidate to be the head coach for that team, which also could support the fact and your basis from last season that John Marino should be on that team, which right now it's not looking too good. But if he turns it around and Mike Sullivan is the coach, it couldn't hurt. Brian Rust, though, if if you really need that other Brian Rust, yeah, there as well. Maybe Brian Dumoulin, who knows? Hey, man, if if Drew Doughty still might make the Canadian team, I don't think Dumoulin's going to make the American team. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Yeah, no, I also am a little iffy with letting Sullivan go to the Olympics because we saw what happened with Bilesma, A, in the Olympics, and B, immediately following in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. So let's... Take it back a step on that and hope for the best first. And then yes. we'll have that discussion. Just a little fun anecdote. Though. I do like, like I it. I do enjoy stuff like that. Let's not worry about the Olympics until we win that fifth Stanley Cup here in June. But fifth. Penguins? Sixth. There you go. I don't know where my mind was. Sixth Stanley Cup. For any Pittsburgh sport, it would be at least the sixth. Yes, the Pirates have five, the Penguins have five, and the Steelers have six. There you go. Sorry, how many does Washington have? Oh, I guess we don't need to talk about that. But, two in total, I believe. Uh, there's some old <laughs> basketball ones down there, I guess. But again, congratulations to Mike Sullivan. That is a big milestone for him. And hopefully he keeps on trucking and gets to 400 someday. And hopefully that's still with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But... Last thing I want to mention about the Buffalo series, of course, the Penguins now have a 14-game point streak when they're playing in Buffalo, and that dates back to, I believe, like 2013 or 2012. So we still get two more games in Buffalo. I would have to imagine that the Penguins will extend that to 16 games by the end of this season. Man, you would hope so, at least. I mean, I'm trying to think of it's a point streak because there's that one overtime loss in there, which I believe... I could be wrong about this. I believe it's the game where Crosby scored with one hand. I think that was our overtime loss there. That might be it, yeah. I know the one game that kind of stands out for me when I'm thinking about Penguins history recently in Buffalo is that I believe it was a one nothing game where the Penguins had to win on the last weekend of the season. There was that one. Playing the Sabres, and Brandon Sutter, of all people, was able to get the lone goal to send the Penguins to the playoffs because – we're looking for, what, 14 or 15 straight postseasons this year? It would have been nowhere close to that if not for the one, the only Brandon Sutter back in 2014, 15. I believe it was. 15. Yeah, we were seniors in high school because I can remember. Oh, the Mike Johnston Penguins. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, no wonder we almost missed the playoffs. <laughs> but exactly. if you think about it, the very next season, we won the Stanley Cup. So got things going for us, right, Sutter? A little foreshadowing, huh? Yeah. 
So let's talk about what is to come for the Pittsburgh Penguins because the Penguins just played the worst team in the division in the Buffalo Sabres, and now they're playing a team that they're neck and neck with. The team that is in fourth place currently in the Mass Mutual East division that the Penguins had just jumped a couple of days ago, that's the Boston Bruins. The Penguins are 0-1-1 and against the Bruins. Of course, this will be the first time they face off in PPG Paints Arena. So, Horwat, what are you thinking about this upcoming matchup? I know the Bruins are coming in on kind of a cold streak. Their last game, of course, losing to the New York Rangers by a pretty bad score of 4 to nothing. But what are you thinking right now about this matchup for Monday and Tuesday in a back-to-back? Um, God, just that it's a back-to-back and anything can happen. This isn't a team you take lightly, obviously, but also it's a team that you have to realize last season – the wins went by way of whoever the home team was so you come in with a little bit of confidence knowing that um, we shouldn't look as dead in the water as we did um, last time we played them in January was it that early it was in January yeah yeah so yeah you gotta hope we look better than that for sure I mean they're coming in a little cold yeah but and we're coming in a little hot also yes but a lot of butts on this because you, it's it's a team you can't you can't let let go lightly. You mm-hmm. got to get on them. You have to shut their guys down. I mean, they call it the perfection line, and boy, do I not like that name. That uh, <laughs> that Marchand, Pasternak, Bergeron, Bergeron, and Pasternak. Oh, it's just a weird name for a line, but hey, so be it. You got to but they're the guys that get it done because behind them it's. Um, Jake DeBrusque and Destin. Their band of merry men. Yeah. Charlie Coyle. I like. I actually do really like Charlie Coyle. And Krejci. I wasn't going to say Coyle. I was going to say Krejci. But behind that, behind those five, I mean, McAvoy is still trying to really prove himself. And I don't think you're ever going to give Charlie McAvoy full this credit. This is his first season on his own. If, he, if, if they get a deep playoff run with him, I'll let it slide. But it's his first season on let his own. Let it slide. Yeah. Um, and then, but also in that, you never know what goalie you're gonna get. You could get very good Vesna style Tuka Rask or Providence Tuka Rask. And then there's Halak, where you could get 2011 vintage or 2010 vintage, whatever it was, or backup Yaroslav Halak. So you want to talk about a gong show? Sometimes it's the it's the Boston Bruins. They can really act like one. They're a great team, probably still the best in the in the division, despite what the numbers may say. But boy, you get them, you get the moons or the stars aligning where everyone's not doing good on that team. That's a team you can blow out because when because their lows are low. Their highs are really high, but damn, can their lows get low? Well, let's hope that their lows continue to be low on Monday and Tuesday because these would be two massive victories for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Can you imagine if the Penguins were able to roll through those two games against the Boston Bruins, all of a sudden be on a seven-game win streak going into a three-game set against the New Jersey Devils? It would definitely be a favorable place for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I would assure you that they would probably be closer, if not surpassing one of those top two teams in the Islanders and the Capitals. But you did mention something interesting there. You talked about the the Bruins goaltending. I want to ask you a question about the Penguins goaltending before we get on the John Marino injury. With Casey DeSmith playing on Saturday against against Buffalo, excuse me, and the fact that they have New Jersey on the other end of this back-to-back with Boston, do you think 
considering he's coming off of, what now, four days of rest that Tristan Jari plays both games against Boston, barring any miraculously poor game, do you think he gets the nod in both games? You know what? I'm going to say no because we have another back-to-back at the end of the week. It's three games set against the Devils, and that's in those second two are Saturday, Sunday. So I would go with no just for that. If that wasn't there, I might lean a little more towards maybe and maybe see what um, – who's Boston's head coach? Forget now. Cassidy. Cassie's. Bruce Cassidy. See whatever Bruce Cassidy decides on going into the second mm-hmm. game, maybe wait it out on who the starting goalie is, see if they make a decision first, and then go with the call. But um, – because I'm going to assume we see both uh, Halak and Rask. Especially because neither of them are really playing out of their mind well right now. And they they kind of have trust in both of them. So I would imagine Cassidy does a split. But Yeah, and I would assume we do too. But that's mostly because we have a split coming up again. And mm-hmm. you don't want to run Jari into, what would that be? A lot of games in the matter of a week. One, two, three, four games in a week. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm going to assume we'll split that one and split the Devils one, barring anything massive or terrible. See, here's what I would do, and I looked at this before, and and I feel like there's a chance Mike Sullivan goes with this, but then he won't, and I'll look like a complete idiot, but that's all right anyway. I think the reasoning behind starting Casey DeSmith, and he did come out and say in his press conference, listen, we have a lot of games coming up because we have a back-to-back against the Devils, and then that following week, there's another another back-to-back against the Sabres. So they have a lot of hockey coming up, and they're going to need to lighten the load for Tristan Jari. But I feel like looking at the fact that it's three against the Devils, then two against the Sabres, and then you play the Islanders, but that's about two weeks from today. I still think that right now Mike Sullivan looks at these two Boston games as pivotal in the season, and once his best out there. And I know Casey DeSmith is playing well right now, but I could easily see Mike Sullivan deciding to go with Casey DeSmith, or not Casey DeSmith, Tristan Jari on Monday and Tuesday against the Boston Bruins. And then giving Casey DeSmith the Thursday game against the Devils and the Saturday game against the Devils, because then you have Tristan Jari after the back-to-back with three days prior to it and four days after it of rest. So you have him rested in the most crucial games and then you can bring him back Sunday against the Devils. That way you're not taxing Casey DeSmith with three state, three straight starts and a back-to-back. I might be completely off. And that's fine. But I have a feeling that that is where Mike Sullivan is looking to go. I think we're going to see Tristan Jari on both Monday and Tuesday. Again, come Tuesday morning, whenever they announce the starter, I'll probably look like an idiot. But I think that's what they're going to do. And then they're going to give... Trist, or Casey DeSmith, I'm messing my goalies up right now. Then they'll give Casey DeSmith the Thursday game against the Devils and the beginning of the back-to-back against the Devils on Saturday. It's interesting. I mean, that's that's just kind of playing the hand there. That's that's a lot of – it's not normal, I guess, what I'm going for. It's not our normal, you know, starter gets the first game of the back-to-back, backup gets the second. Roll along. It's not a normal season, though. Exactly. It's all kind of... We have of... three back-to-backs in a matter of 10 days. Yeah, you're talking a lot. Of... It's not analytics per se, but it's a lot of big brain shit. That's kind of <laughs> what that was. That's what I do. Because you, drew... you drew that one out. I actually totally forgot there was a whole other back-to-back there, which um, that third back-to-back, I think, would have only reinforced my first point of, I believe, will probably go Jari to... Yeah, Jari to Smith. 
who I don't know who will get that Thursday that lone Thursday game against uh, New Jersey, and then split them <laughs> again for probably the next uh, four games there because they're all back to backs, and then go into the Islander series with uh, probably just straight Jari, and then again, this is all barring any anything huge or anything anything huge, good or bad. Yes, because you always ride the hot hand, but you got to be careful on those back to backs, especially going down the stretch. If the Maple Leafs have taught us anything, it's running your goalie through the through the wood chipper is not a great idea. Well, here's the thing. I also like that going down the stretch, we still have 14 games against two of the worst teams in the division, and whether or not we take them lightly, as of right now, I trust Casey DeSmith a whole lot against those two teams. But I don't think Casey DeSmith is going to go in there and lose us a game against those two teams. So, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. You have to follow along through the rest of the season. The Penguins, of course, tonight's game against Boston will mark the exact midpoint of the season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And win or lose tonight, they're going to be in a playoff spot. So midway through the season, you're in a playoff spot. That's where you want to be, especially with the momentum that they have currently going. So hopefully they keep that going tonight against Boston. We do want to talk about the John Marino injury before we send it over to the Brian Metzer interview, but I did want to talk about one thing really quickly before that. I mentioned it on the last episode, a new podcast coming to the network, and I want to mention it here again because it is very exciting that we're going to be joined by the likes of Theo Fleury, Darren Ravel, and Eric Cusson for the new podcast, We're All a Little Crazy. Now, that podcast is about mental health, sports, society, experiences, and education. And of course, with Theo Fleury, it's going to be entertaining as well. So we're very excited to welcome those three onto the Hockey Podcast Network. We're excited to hopefully maybe get to talk to one of those guys here on this show and bring it to our listeners here for the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. But just keep an eye out for that. Download episode one when it drops. I promise you it will be an enjoyable, enjoyable experience listening to that podcast. But just wanted to mention that one more time. Yeah, that should be a ton of fun. You talked about it last week. I mentioned... Uh that Theo Fleury was on an old show on the network before. Um, it's good to see him rolling back around because it was kind of the same sort of discussion he had on that episode of yes. Hockey to Heroin. So it's it's all about the same stuff. And Theo Fleury is, I mean, have you ever seen Theo? I'm sure I haven't, but I mean, have many of you seen Theo Fleury, Theo Fleury play? He's a hell of a player. Go watch highlights, everyone. He was, and I know a lot of people have said this before me, so I'm not trying to trademark anything. He was Martin Saint-Louis before Martin Saint-Louis. So definitely go look at some of his old highlights in preparation for this podcast yeah. because it, it'll make it all the more enjoyable when you sit down and listen to his story. But let's talk a little bit about John Marino before we cut to a break. Of course, he missed both games over the weekend against Buffalo. Yet another player disqualified from the Iron Penguin Award running. There's no more defensemen. We are out of defensemen in the Iron Penguin candidates. Only forwards are left and available for that award. But unfortunately, John Marino is out of the running there. He had a near scare earlier in the season on the COVID list, but he was able to play. And now, missing two games of Buffalo, he's officially eliminated with an upper body injury. Chad Ruedel has been skating in his place on the third pairing with Marcus Pedersen. And for the first time in history, and I, I should say in the Mike Sullivan era, Somebody was a game time decision and did not play. I was I was flabbergasted when I saw that. He said he's a game time decision, and Horwat, me and you have both said even back on the banks of the Mon at WPPJ, we both said that if somebody's a game time decision coming off an injury, they're gonna play, and he didn't. So I was I was like I said, quote flabbergasted. 
that he was not on the ice there Saturday night. Quote flabbergasted. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I mean, none of us knew what the injury was. I guess it's a hand issue, so who knows exactly what's going on or how long that can be. Um, but it's not an injury you want to rush him back for because it's not the playoffs. You want a guy like him to be fully healthy, especially considering he hasn't had the hottest of seasons to Hell, can I still say to start with? I mean, we're halfway through the season, so, I mean, he's played better. Yeah, he's played he's better. He's had some really good games, but the first quarter of the season was horrid. The second quarter was not as good as last year, but not as bad as the first quarter. Yeah, so you want him to be fully healthy so he can kind of really regain his steps and play through it all. Uh, and I think the interesting thing is that we didn't – when it came down to the injury, we didn't pull up P.O. Joseph for the taxi squad fill-in. No. It was Maniscalco. Joshua Maniscalco. Yeah, boy. Goodness. We're, I think we're just trying to give everyone a little bit of NHL practice experience because, I mean, Josh Curie seems to be getting bounced around on the, uh, on the old turnpike this year so far. Let's be honest, though. We all know Josh Curie, when he gets put on the taxi squad, is just staying in his hotel room in Wilkes-Barre. Maybe, yeah. I mean, what's interesting... A couple times, maybe he's come over because he did play in one yeah. game. But, come on. he The, the whole taxi squad one day, Wilkes-Barre the next, he, he ain't moving. It's That's not logistically possible. The only reason why I think they might be is because they're getting reps in at, pra- at, at a taxi squad practice. And it's good to have those guys with them in case shit hits the fan because we live currently in a society where if shit hits the fan, you gotta adjust. So... Yes. I don't know. I mean, maybe they're moving. We don't know the logistics of that. We shouldn't know the logistics of that because we're just worried about our starting 20 and how they're doing. So, And they're doing good. They're doing good, except for the injured ones. Which, uh... And to a bit of a lesser extent, we are also worried about the AHL because we want to see the Wilkes-Barre Penguins succeed as well. I mean, they've played pretty well to start the season, but I do want to say one thing, and it's from a listener request. Um, so here you go, Mom. The Taxi Squad. Uh, she texted me and she said, so what is the deal with the Taxi okay. Squad? So I'm guessing she didn't listen just, just prior to the season when we explained it. But the Taxi Squad is a little buffer for the COVID times when if a player goes onto the COVID-19 list, they have about four or five or six extra players that are able to travel with the team that they can just recall from the Taxi Squad and have with them. They're not on the active roster, so they don't count towards the salary cap, but they're still with the team in case say that one day that Sidney Crosby was put on the COVID list. They don't have to worry about getting a guy up from Wilkes-Barre just in case something goes wrong. They have him on the taxi squad. So it is purely a COVID situation here on the taxi squad on the NHL. There's about five or six. The Penguins have carried a goaltender at all times. They've kind of the same thing. They've, they've switched around which goaltenders on that taxi squad. And it's just a little bit of an insurance policy for NHL teams in case players have to be on the, ta- in, on the COVID list. For the NHL. If you want a little fun piece, if you if you have the current edition of the Penguins yearbook, uh, they have their whole section, the Taxi Squad, the whole there you go, whole couple of pages he- for them. They got the whole spread. You know, Anthony Angelo is the first one, so I can show you this one. It's the full spread of, of what a what a regular page would look like in the yearbook. Um, plus go. their stats just not they don't get the small ones like the like the in the system section. So um, where's the So they don't get these little things as I lose the page. I'm not a great teacher. 
Yeah, it's it's fine. You don't have a PhD in, in academics, and, and it's fine. We don't need to because neither of us are that smart. And all I did was explain that the taxi squad is kind of getting taken seriously around the NHL this year, it seems. I mean, despite the fact mm-hmm. that you have to go through waivers to get to it if you're a certain yes. um, elevation. If you're waiver eligible. Yeah. So it's a little different, and I think that's very weird, but it makes makes the league interesting. It makes it, does. it makes the league interesting. It makes it gives Elliot Freeman a job every day at noon. Exactly, and I know I'm I'm tuned into that Elliot Friedman at noon stuff. I know today was what David Backus and Jack Johnson <laughs> as well was on the uh, taxi squad. So there you go, mom. I know you texted me that while I was working, and I told you I'd respond when I wasn't working. How about this? You get a shout out on the podcast, but we should always be unless shouting you have out anything our else. I think it's time to what was we that? Should always be shouting out our mothers, shouldn't we? We should honestly, and whenever Mother's Day comes up, I'm we should have a whole segment on them because that they deserve at the very least that but i think it's about time we send it over to our interview with brian metzer we hope you enjoy it as much as we did we'll be right back this episode of the tip of the iceberg is brought to you by manscaped the best in men's below the belt grooming offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels got a crazy bush i may not be a contractor but even i know that if you trim your hedges your tree stands taller this is why manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to manscaped's new and improved lawnmower 3.0 featuring advanced skin safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut free if you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower the lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an led light so even guys as blind as i am can see what they're doing if you are listening to me you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product and you too can experience it firsthand get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code thpn at manscaped.com Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We are joined right now by a very special guest, hockey writer and host of the Penguins Radio Network. Brian Metzer is joining the show right now with us. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, great to catch up with you. Great to have you on, man. We appreciate you coming and giving us a little bit of your time here on a Sunday night. Uh, It's my pleasure. I'm glad to do it. So we have a very fun list of questions here. I'm very excited about this interview because we're going to talk a little bit of Pittsburgh Penguins. And I know there are a couple of our listeners that are also fans of professional wrestling as well. We'll get into that. We have some fans of music. We'll talk a little bit about music as well. But let's start with the meat of the interview, which is going to be the Pittsburgh Penguins. And lately, the Penguins have been pretty good. Five wins in a row as of right now and a big part of that is the pairing of Kasperi Kapanen and Evgeny Malkin and the amazing chemistry that they've been showing over this past week or two weeks. What have you seen about that duo that has really made it start to click? Well, um, I think that if you were playing Kasperi Kapanen with Sid or something, it might not work as well because Crosby, I think, plays 
I guess a dirtier game than Gino does. Dino, uh, Gino likes to play all over the all over the rink, and he goes east west a lot, whereas Sid goes north south. And I think maybe that's why Casperi didn't work as well with him. But you look at Kapanen, and he plays that north south game pretty well, while still allowing Gino to just kind of be all over the place. And he reads and reacts pretty well off of him. I joked around uh, the other night saying, I feel like Gino's kind of like this old wizard that's up in a, a cabin on a mountaintop. And he saw this young guy, Casperi Kapanen, and he snagged him and he started to feed off of his energy. Like you see in these fairy tales, because that's exactly what's happened. They put them together. And for whatever reason, they just, they're feeding off of each other's game and it's really worked out beautifully. I mean, you've got both of them just lighting it up offensively. I don't know that there's a better finisher on the team, not named Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin right now, other than Kasperi Kapanen. I mean, the way he's able to finish, it's so beautiful. I mean, sure. Jay Gensel can do that, but Kasperi just has that ability off the rush in close. Uh, he's can score dirty goals. He can score off of a, a beautiful breakaway. We've seen a couple of different times. So it just seems like for whatever reason, those two guys have just kind of just exploded when they put them together and it didn't happen even immediately, but, but after a couple of games, all of a sudden they just, they collaborated beautifully. And I think Mike Sullivan's really found a fit and it hasn't really mattered who's on the other side when it was Jared McCann, that's worked very well. And sadly he went out injured. I don't know that Evan Rodriguez is the long-term fix until somebody else is able to slot in there, but it hasn't affected the production of the other two. So if it's not broken, don't fix it. But I, I think that is it. They're just feeding so well off one another and it's just they both play with speed. They're so skilled. They can read and react very well. And and nothing seems to catch the other off guard. So it's working perfectly. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned how much speed Kapanen brings. Uh, I mean, beyond just that second line, speed's being brought by Tanev along with Bluger and Aston Reese. How important has that line become to the team? And is Bluger a viable option as the third-line center role as Jankowski has kind of faltered recently? Um, I think... Teddy Bluger's really developed into a, a nice little NHL player for them. It's another one of those, you know, under the radar draft picks that the last regime made that nobody really gives them credit for. Uh, he's blossomed. I mean, you can say the same about Brian Rust. Nobody knew he would become what he's what he has blossomed into these days. And that's kind of uh, feathers in like a ratio cap from way years gone by. But Bluger, for whatever reason, he's gotten better in the faceoff circle. I know that that was something he worked on a lot in the offseason, and we didn't see it early this year, but it started to turn a corner maybe at the 12-game mark or so. He's been pretty good in the faceoff dot. He can kill penalties very well. I love the way he attacks shorthanded. There's not a whole lot of guys on the team that do that, except for he and, and Brandon Tanev. They work so well together in that capacity. And uh, I, I think that he has a little bit more offensive upside than anybody's given him credit for. And if you look at him, he looks kind of like an SOB too. He just has that look in his eye. He looks scrappy. Uh, his teeth look kind of like snaggled up or something. I don't know what it is about him, especially when his helmet comes off, his hair is kind of all, all tussled and everything. He just looks like a, a little rascal or something. So he gets out there and he seems to agitate guys without really playing in, in that style. It's not like he's dirty or anything, but he seems to um, just have the scrappy nature in his game. And it's working so well on the third line. He's really blossomed into that role. And it's allowed them to have that, that third line be one of the team's best at times. I mean, the, 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 just the way they can cycle, the way that they have the blue, uh, blue collar approach in both ends of the rink. I know it makes Mike Sullivan confident enough to roll at least three lines on a nightly basis. And you're starting to see now without them having to lean so heavily on Jankowski in a third line capacity, he looks like he's comfortably settled into the fourth line, at least right now 
with um, just and, uh, Angelo's done a great job with him playing on his wing. And I, I don't know that Colton Sevier is a long-term fit there. I mean, they just put him on waivers a week ago, yet he's still playing a regular shift. And I think he's found a home there. So with them having Bluger blossom into the third line role, they've, they've built a fourth line role that's been viable. And now you're seeing them look a little more Penguins-esque from top to bottom. And when they have the ability to play four lines, they, they tend to look more like the team we know. And luckily for the Penguins, that fourth line has started to come around recently, at least in the past week. I mean, they finally had a goal scored with Anthony Angelo in Buffalo, and it was nice to see them actually get that goal. Exactly, especially against his hometown team. That's always a nice story. It seems like the Penguins seem to do it when the big storyline is there. But what do the Pens realistically need to see from that fourth line to be able to compete the rest of the season? Because we're about halfway through now and also into the playoffs. What do they need from that fourth line? Well, I think the physicality's there. Uh, that's something that Angelo's brought to the table now that he's getting a little more comfortable. That's something that a couple weeks ago, if you listen to talk radio in the city here, that's every all that they talked about. They're always worried about, oh, the Penguins aren't tough enough, fourth line, fourth line. And you guys probably notice this as much as anybody else. Narratives build in this city, in Pittsburgh. And then it, it comes from somebody like Josh Yoey or Mark Madden or somebody. And then every other person runs with that story and builds upon it. And that narrative becomes the story for months and months at a time. And in this situation, there's still people talking about the Penguins as if they're lucky to be able to make the playoffs this year because that was the story a month ago. Even though they've won so many games now, they're sitting in third place at the time of our recording. They look like they're going to have a nice road ahead with, I know, the Boston Bruins in the next couple of days, but they have a lot of games against the Sabres, Devils, etc. So all that said, I think the fourth line being a liability was more of a narrative thing that they just hadn't really settled on the bodies. And for me, the biggest problem with the unit is there's not a guy that's going to go out and get the big goal from time to time. When the Penguins have a viable third and fourth line, it has guys on it that can contribute a little bit offensively. Now, in years past, yeah, he was a swing man, but you had Matt Cullen, who could play on the fourth line. He could go out and score 10 or 11 goals in a fourth line center capacity. He could jump up in your lineup if need be, but it gave them a nice security blanket for somebody that could score goals in the fourth line uh, center spot. Now, that's not Jankowski going to do it. He just scored his second goal uh, of the season. The first came in the opening night of the year. I mean, it's 20-plus games ago, so that's not going to be the case. But I, I all of a sudden have seen some bright spots since Angelo got there. He's picking up anywhere from two to five hits a night, which is nice to see. He is grinding in the corners. They've cycled pretty well. They've had some shots on goal. I don't know that that's going to turn into a lot of offense, but the fact that he got one the other night tells me that at least that was a nice wrist shot, a nice release that he had to score the goal. So if he can do that a little more frequently and even chip in, you know, two or three the rest of the way, I think that gives them a little different look from the fourth line. And maybe they're not as worried with going out and getting somebody. But for right now, the way that's come together, I think it's enough to hold them over at least till the uh, trade deadline when you see them go out and maybe look at somebody uh, to supplement it. But they don't have a ton of assets. You know that the guys that would be perfect there are going to be kind of like what the Tampa Bay Lightning did uh, a year or so ago, where they went out and picked up Blake Coleman and they got Barclays Goudreau and all of this. That cost them first-round draft picks to get those kinds of guys. They were essentially, uh, specifically Blake Coleman, he was a top-six player with the New Jersey Devils, 20-goal man, but he brought in I think he had 75 hits or something whenever they acquired him from the Devils. So he 
he added a dynamic to their bottom six that wasn't there in all those years where they destroyed the regular season, finally got tougher going into the playoffs, and they win a Stanley Cup for it. The Penguins don't really have the assets to do that and to acquire that kind of guy right now. So I'm, I keep eyeballing players such as like Eric Halla or something from the Nashville Predators. He's a free agent after this year. We know he was a very viable third and fourth line center kind of guy that can play left wing. He goes out and can be a little bit physical. He can win face-offs. That's tantamount to something they really need. Just somebody that can win face-offs in a fourth line role, go up against the other team's top line. So somebody like that, that you might be able to get cheap. That's only going to cost them, you know, 300,000 the rest of the year might be somebody that would be a target. But if it doesn't come to pass, I'm not going to be crushed because of what we've seen from the trio that's playing on the fourth line right now. Yeah, and I guess I'll have to. I mean, you just went a lot, uh, went off a lot on trades for a second. I mean, I'll reword my "Is there a trade in the in the near future for the team?" to more of if a trade was to be made. Um, you mentioned we don't have a lot of assets, but who is a guy that would be on the chopping block? I mean, I, everyone knows we have a log jam at defense right now, especially on the left side. Would a player in that position be sent away for something like that? Well, I think that's the the bag that they most certainly can draw upon. Um, let's not forget a guy that can't seem to break into this lineup that may have value somewhere else is Yuso Ricola. I mean, I feel like he's been healthy for three weeks and he's still on injured reserve. I mean, they activated him the other day, but it just seems like there, some teams can do that with a Nikita Kucherov. We're doing it with uh, Yuso Ricola here in Pittsburgh. We're holding him out to the playoffs whenever we can expand the rosters. I'm just kidding, of course, but uh, <laughs> that's a guy that I think may have a little bit of value to someone who needs, you know, a bottom six defenseman. They may give you a bottom six forward in exchange. I still feel like Marcus Pedersen is not safe here in Pittsburgh, specifically with the emergence of uh, P.O. Joseph. I mean, I know when he was playing up with Chris Letang in the top pairing, he got himself probably a little bit overexposed for, for more than he was ready for. But generally, he did a really great job for them. And I feel like if you could play him in your bottom, you know, either your second or third pairing, it gives you a little bit of latitude to trade out one of those other guys. I've heard people kick around craziness, such as trading Brian Dumoulin this year, because you could get a great return for him. Now, that's something they might look at down the line, uh, maybe as soon as this offseason. But based on how the Penguins are suddenly playing and based on how this division is shaking out, yeah, they may not be Stanley Cup contenders just yet. And they may not even be a Stanley Cup contender, even with a trade. But there's no doubt in my mind, based on what we've seen with the Mass Mutual Eastern uh, Division or the East Division, that they have what it, they have the, the tools in the shed right now with a little supplement going on potentially to potentially emerge from that division. You know, I mean, they all the teams are so evenly matched, I feel, in the top four or five. Those bottom three teams aren't really going to be involved. Flyers are dropping off a little bit. I think right now you'd be foolish if you traded somebody like you know Brian Dumoulin just because he adds so much. Look how well he's got the team playing just in his short term being back in. His subtleties of his game, the way he moves the puck, his his mobility on the ice, I think it's so underrated. Uh, he sprung Sidney Crosby for his, his uh, awesome chance the other night. Um, that's something that nobody gives Brian Dumoulin credit for. So I don't think he's going to go out anytime soon. And I know he kind of dodged around your trade. Uh, target question of guys who could be on the move. But I, I, I would say Pedersen's a guy that you would consider moving. Yuso Rikola is a guy that could be probably on the chopping block here at some point, only because they never even use him. And he's just taken up a roster spot and uh, money on the cap. So I would say those two guys probably first come to mind. I would, I would think there's no chance of them moving somebody like P.O. Joseph unless they knew they were getting a 
long-term asset that was going to be somebody that was a, a top six addition that's going to blow the doors off this place and uh, going to be here for a, a large portion of the future. I don't, I don't see that in the cards. This is going to be probably a, a depth type defenseman for a depth player in the um, forward ranks. And I think it's probably going to come from the, one of those two guys potentially being on the move. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, we've heard Patterson's name tossed around forever. I think at one point, whenever Dumlin wasn't playing well and just gotten hurt, things were still a little dark here, and I think me and Berlansky tossed around the Dumlin idea for a minute. But um, because that's just an option, and we know anyone can Or you're going to get a lot for him, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's so valuable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the old cliche, but if, if Gretzky got traded, anyone could. But um, <laughs> I, Brian Dumlin would love that you, you use that uh, analogy <laughs> in, re, in regard to him. You know, usually we're saying that about the Sid rumor. Hey, yeah. if, if Gretzky could go, you know, Sidney Crosby could be on the move. But, yeah, I think Dumo's probably like, yeah, Wayne Gretzky, if he could go, that, that's me too. Absolutely. But, I mean, so, you know, we got a lot of defensive talking in now. But going to the goaltending duo of Jari and DeSmith, I mean, Jari seems to have turned it around and DeSmith picked up the first shutout of the year. How confident, how confident are you in those two going forward? Well, just in this last, you know, seven games or so, I mean, they've both been lights out and both guys say percentages are well over nine ten, which is awesome. I think the Smith say percentage is like nine fifty five in his last two starts. And he is a 0.5 goals against in those two games, nice. one of which he lost. <laughs> I mean, didn't he? I was thinking about the two nothing game. So, uh, yeah, he had a shutout in the two nothing loss. So um, I, I just it's amazing that Casey DeSmith can do what he can. And that's not play for 10 or 11 days and come in and turn in that type of performance. Uh, it's, it's funny how the Penguins always seem to find these kinds of backups. If you go way back, I mean, Wendell Young could do that for this team back in the old, old days. Yep. Frankie Peter Angelo did that kind of thing when he was playing behind Tom Barrasso. They didn't play a lot, and they would come in and play at a high level and help this team, sometimes even in the playoffs. I mean, Ken Reggett did that with Tom Barrasso, even being thrust into games, not even knowing he was going to start at the, at the drop of the puck. Uh, I think the one playoff game against the Caps the one year, Barrasso just decided his back hurt that night. And uh, <laughs> I don't know that that's accurate or if, if he actually did have a back ailment, but he had to come into play. So I think with these two guys, they're lucky because DeSmith is the great kind of yin to the yang that is Tristan Jari right now, who really seems to be rounding into the form he showed last year in the first half. He, he's looking like that guy that was an Eastern Conference all-star he, he is looking big in his net again. He's playing his angles very well. He's not over uh, overreacting to some of the shots like he was early in the season or playing a little too deep in the net. I think that going even back to Matt Murray last year, when they were not playing well, you tend to see them play deep in the net, drop to their knees too much, give two shooters too much up high. The only thing I saw from Jari maybe a little too much, and I haven't seen it too much over this span, is he's given uh, shooters a little too much on the short side over his glove hand on occasion. And we were kind of debating this on our Penguins radio post-game shows. I think his defenders in front of him are doing him a disservice at times because they're getting in shooting lanes as if they're going to block a shot. And then they almost flamingo out of the way of it and he can't see what's coming. So he's just kind of throwing his arm up or, or flailing, trying to make a save based on them taking their own goaltender's eyes away it's like, if you're going to be there, block the shot. If not, just get out of the way and let him take it because he's playing well enough right now that I think he would make the first save. And he's done that so well. So when you look at this span of games, this winning streak that they're on and even going back a little beyond that, uh, they're both playing so well. I don't know that goaltending is an issue for this team at this point. 
the way we thought it was, you know, a month and a half, two months ago, where we were all kind of worried at the end of January that, boy, this doesn't look like it's a good spot. And all the rumors about Marc-Andre Fleury popping up again. And uh, I think people were kicking around Jonathan Quick's name. No, thanks. He can't even start for his own team anymore. Um, I just I feel like these two guys have solidified their jobs in Pittsburgh. And I think Ron Hextall, the former goaltender, has said as much. He's, he's been pretty pleased with what he's seen from both. So I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it. I mean, are, are you guys cool with them at this point? I think they're looking pretty good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely we are. I mean, you were mentioning names that were kicked around. I remember John Gibson got floated out for a second. I mean, well, if John the, Gibson can come in, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking at the time that one sounded good because, A, it's a Pittsburgh boy, and yep. he's one of the better goaltenders in the league that might be heading to the Olympics. So it's... Uh, that was one that if it got tossed out, sure, we'd take it. But, I mean, um, ideally we didn't want to. But, hey, now we've seen Jari's turn it around, and he's looking good, and we're both Would you trade? How about well. this? Would you trade Tristan Jari in a deal for John Gibson? Because it sounds like the Ducks might be considering something like that. And I would think that if you did something like Gibson, it would require – probably a return of one of your goaltenders and it's not going to be Casey DeSmith. Yeah. <laughs> if we assumed it would have involved Jari too. Plus I mean, at the time he wasn't playing well. So it kind yeah. of kind of made sense, but not what something you want to do and we're glad we're past that for sure. <laughs> I, I would consider it. I mean I, I but I yeah. feel like right now, unless it's somebody like that, um, you know, who he comes with the Pittsburgh uh the Pittsburgh kit. <laughs> pedigree yeah. of course not to mention he's one of the best goaltenders in the league I and mean, he's was among the league leaders in shutouts playing for the ducks who just don't look very good so that's something i would consider but um i, I don't know that there's a, a duo of goaltenders playing as well as the two the penguins have right now at least over the last 10 12 games well, Brian, both of us used to watch wrestling in college. In fact, I got a Snapchat memory today that four years ago today, both of us went to a SmackDown Live at PPG Paints Arena. But I haven't seen it as much recently. And I remember watching the first couple of events from AEW, actually, and loving every second of it. But since, it's seemingly taken off to another level since then. So what have they been doing that has kept them building strong? And are they going to be a serious competitor with WWE for years to come? Well, I think that for me, and this is the funny thing, I'm like you guys, I used to watch religiously back in the day, specifically like the Monday Night Wars, when it was Raw versus Nitro, and WCW was at the peak of their powers. That was like must-see TV if you were a wrestling fan, night in and night out. And it was cool because at the time I was working a 3 to 11 job, and Raw, I would tape, and then it would get to the point where you would have – the nitro replay would come on at like midnight or one in the morning or something like that. So mm -hmm. we would like fast forward through all the stuff on nitro. I mean, on uh, raw, and then we'd watch nitro on the replay. So you'd see both shows every night. I dropped out of that. Probably. I don't know. It, it got too cheesy and stupid for me with, with in general. And I'm sure that's kind of what happened to you guys too. It just happens. And I, I, I feel bad saying that because people are like, no way. Don't say that. Bite your tongue. But uh, a couple guys that I worked with covering the Penguins were super into AEW and when it was getting ready to launch. And it was even before that because some of the guys that are there, such as Kenny Omega and the, the Young Bucks, and um, I'm trying to think who else that you, they used to talk about all the time. But they would go nuts for these guys when they were over in New Japan and they were doing like some stuff in Impact Wrestling and all of this. And everyone's like, it's so good. You got to watch it. So when AEW launched, I got sucked in. And of course, I've always loved Chris Jericho. So as soon as I heard he was going to be there, I'm like, oh, I have to. Like, you can't, you know, the Ayatollah of rock and roll is there. You got to chime in. <laughs> so I got involved with it. And I would say that it's just that they allow the guys to have their freedom. 
um, you know, WWE got so scripted in recent years. And I know it's all scripted, but they weren't even allowing guys to go out and cut promos anymore. It's almost as if somebody wrote a script and Vince McMahon had to approve it. And then they had to go out and almost read lines. And there are people like Jericho who can't thrive in that kind of environment. Yeah, he did it for years and he could sell it well. But here, they're back to being able to do their own thing. They can kind of build their characters from what it looks like to me. Um, I, to be completely honest, there are nights that I watch the show because I DVR it on Wednesday nights. And I'll fast forward a lot through some of the matches because they're so into these these matches where they put like 10 guys in the ring at once. Um, there's a bunch of tag team stuff, which I am into to a certain extent. But I almost like they used to joke around and say it was almost like a soap opera, these wrestling shows. And that's kind of what I'm here for. I want all the drama and all of the, all of the promos and all of the, you know, all the ripping on each other stuff. So if it's a match I'm not interested in, I'll fast forward through that in a big way. And then I'll just look for all that stuff. But I think allowing these guys to have freedom, allowing them to build their characters, they brought in some pretty interesting people. I love hangman Adam page. He's, he's a really good guy. He's a cool wrestler. And I, he just is, he is a cool personality they made him out to be a drunk for a while which was interesting and it almost made it seem like they were gonna have him fight these demons with alcohol and then they just like went they turned into that curve and he just still drinks they always show him he's got like a, a tumbler of whiskey and he, and he uses it to his benefit half the time so that's fun and it's working for them because they're up against nxt from wwe every week they were smart they didn't put themselves on monday nights and they're beating the nxt show almost every single week. I think NXT's beaten them maybe a handful of times in the last year. Otherwise, they've had it they've had them beaten almost every single Wednesday, sometimes going over a million viewers, which the, in this day and age that's pretty good for a new wrestling show for sure. And the fact now that you saw first Jericho go there, uh Christian just showed up there from the WWE and then uh, Paul White, we all remember him. I mean, he he just showed up there. So there's guys from the WWE jumping ship and going to AEW, which really starting to get that vibe again, like the old days of the Monday Night Wars, because that's when you used to, you could watch a show this week, and then all of a sudden a guy's contract would be up, and then Eric Bischoff would go out and try and sign him and get him to come over, or vice versa, Vince would steal a guy, and they'd show up on the other show the next week. I mean, I think Sid Vicious did that. Uh, it was No, it was Lex Luger. Lex Luger did that. He was on a, an episode of raw and i want to say the same night or something they they pulled off this crazy thing like they recorded raw sunday and while he was on raw he showed up on nitro live on monday night that was the kind of cutthroat stuff that they used to do um and i kind of feel like it's teetering on the edge of that so uh there's they've sucked me in with that kind of thing plus it's cool they have uh they have a good women's division that seems real because before it used to be fluff in some of these leagues over the years, they seem really real about it. They have some good uh, athletes there. Uh, Britt Baker, she's not originally from Pittsburgh, but she went to the University of Pittsburgh Dental School. So she heavily embraces uh, the city and is like a Penguins fan and a Steelers fan. And so she's always tweeting Pittsburgh stuff. And she she follows me because of my Penguins work. So that's kind of cool. Um, so stupid little things like that uh, are nice to get you sucked in mm-hmm. to um, – to AEW. Plus, Tony Schiavone's there, Jim Ross, uh, as an old school feel to make you remember those old days. So that was the very long-winded answer <laughs> yeah. of why I like AEW. But yeah, I've been, I haven't missed an episode of it since it launched almost a year and a half ago now. And I have to admit, I've even 
like ridiculously purchased their pay-per-views, which I swore I would never buy another wrestling pay-per-view, but I've purchased the wrestling pay-per-views from AEW and I've done the same thing. So I've wasted my own money. I tape it and I fast forward through half the stuff in the pay-per-view and watch what I want. So <laughs> I'm paying them to watch like part of their show. That's perfect. That's perfect. And honestly, in, in your answer, as you described as long winded, I would describe as beautiful, but in that answer, you mentioned Adam hangman page who literally on my next question, he's my favorite wrestler there. I, I, I love hangman Adam page. He had a whole storyline before AEW on the being the elite miniseries on, on YouTube that just, it got me hooked. And then I watched his matches and I love it. So I wanted to ask you, who is your favorite wrestler on their roster right now? Um, I think he's probably, he's in that mix for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. I really enjoy him. I mean, I, I, I've always loved Jericho, but he's not yeah. my favorite there. Uh, but I still like watching him. MJF is awesome. <laughs> I mean, to be, you know, to be honest, I would say he's, I, I never miss one of his promos. Mm -hmm. I never miss anything he does on the show. So he's up there, but I think uh, Adam Page is definitely high on the list. I'm trying to think who else did I enjoy. I mean, the Dark Order was a cool storyline at first, and then they made those poor guys get so hokey now, but they're almost kind of cute and cuddly and funny now. But I, I think I'll stick with uh, Hangman for right now as my fave. Jericho's probably in the top three, but MJF is probably number two. I just enjoy everything he does on there. Um, and he's probably as good a promo as anybody in pro wrestling. Um, but there, there are a number of people that you don't turn off. Like right now when they have um, Kenny Omega's storyline where they had the crossover with impact wrestling and they had this, their own version of a screw job with him stealing the title from John Moxley, who I do like, but uh, they had him pretty much doing the same thing every week for a long time. So that's another guy they stole, they stole from WWE. We should be honest about uh, he jumped ship and went over there. Um, and uh, of course we left out Brody Lee when we were going through that list. He came over before he passed away, you know, tragically. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I think Hangman Adam Page is definitely one of my favorites, if not my fave with MJF right there next to him. That's good stuff. Yeah, you mentioned John Moxley, and I just had to remember that was Dean Ambrose, correct? Yes. Yes. All right. Which John Moxley and Dean Ambrose, it's so hard to even equate them with being the same guy at this point yeah. because they had him, from what I even recall, because I didn't see much of his like full career there. I know what they did with him. And they went from he was in the group with they were the SWAT guys, they were the, the guards or whatever. And uh, then they got him. He was doing all this like hokey stuff yeah. and they wanted him to like be a jokester. And he's really the first one that went to uh, AEW and, and blew the doors off the fact that uh, they weren't allowing them to be original uh, over in WWE, that they had to script every single promo and they had no creative uh, input anymore. Uh, he did that on one of the Jericho podcasts, which if you guys didn't hear that, go check that out. Not that we, you know, listen to this <laughs> podcast, but then go and check out the uh, Chris Jericho uh, talk is Jericho with with uh, Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley. It was very enlightening of how Vince McMahon is running the WWE these days. Yeah, I can recall whenever that happened. I feel like a lot of WWE stuff is just even the off screen stuff is so scripted. But turning from wrestling to uh, music now. A uh, certain someone at our network mentioned how much of a music junkie and a music nut you can be. Um, I just want to dig into what are some of your favorite acts and what does your music collection look like? Is it vinyl, CDs, do you get into the tapes? Uh, well, it goes back many, many moons because I have a ton of cassettes still. I, I, they're, they're actually in boxes at my, at my mom's in her basement because I don't even think I have a viable cassette player right now. I know I have one at one of my, like at my day job office, I have a cassette player 
but I'm working from home from there because of everything going on in the world. So I haven't, I haven't had that with me, but I have so many CDs. I, I downsized the collection in terms of the space it took. I took them and I regret doing this now, but I took a bunch of them out of the cases and just saved like the, the booklet and the CD and put them in books to mm-hmm. try and downsize. Because at one point I think I had like 10,000 CDs uh, and it just spanned every genre you could think of. Yeah. I mean, I'm mainly like a metal and rock guy. But I have, you know, some R&B, there was some hip hop, old school rap, I have pop music, I have very little country. If I have something that I'm not as into, it's probably that. That's like probably my least favorite. And I still even like some of that. It, it all depends. Um, yeah. I, I probably have more meat in my face than the individual, but a lot of people always said I looked like Brad Paisley. I probably don't with a beard and everything now. But so I, I always had to like lean into Brad Paisley a little bit because of that. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But generally, my favorites are... Uh, I'll give you a, a couple. Elvis Presley, first of all, because I was like, my mom is a huge fan. And I was raised on Elvis. Uh, Slayer, I love. Uh, Megadeth is one of my favorites. Metallica, of course. I love The Cure. Uh, they're one of my favorite bands of, of all time. I love Emperor, who uh, they're a Norwegian black metal band. They don't, they're not really active anymore. They occasionally play one-off shows during summer festivals now. Um whenever they are, there are summer festivals, but those big yeah. European ones, nothing here. I'm kind of upset because they were supposed to come stateside for a huge thing in Vegas last summer, uh, the Psycho Vegas Music Fest. It goes pretty much a whole weekend and they had to cancel the whole thing and it was rescheduled for this August. I'm hoping it happens because Emperor's on the bill. Uh, another of my all-time favorites, I even have a Danzig tattoo, is Danzig, uh, which I love everything he's done, Misfits, Sam Hain, um, and Danzig is also slated to play Psycho Vegas, and I haven't seen them in years, so I was hoping that would happen. But that's probably uh, a little bit of the Keller of my favorites. Um, but there are so many; it's like asking to choose one of my children because um, I, I just—it's—I've escaped for many, many moons into music, and I'm sure you know everybody does that from time to time if you're a music fan. But for me, yeah, I—I um, I just I, I listen to music every single day. Uh, and sadly, I don't get to actually listen to my physical stuff because I, I started I have a little vinyl collection and I started collecting some new vinyl recently, mainly signed stuff. If it's from an act that I really like, um, sometimes they'll they'll offer something on their website signed or something. And I don't really even ever listen to it. I just have it for the, the collectability of it. But as I was going to say, though, I don't get to listen to the physical stuff as much. I spend my time during the day when I'm doing work or whatever, constantly listening to them on Spotify, unfortunately. So I'm robbing them. They're not yeah. able to make a lot of money off of me anymore. But at least I did buy your album at one point. Now I'm just listening to it on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always great stuff. I feel like a lot of the guys at the network seem to be pop punk guys. I mean, that's definitely what I am. Like my favorite band of all time is Green Day. Then I'll oh, take yeah, like Sum Forty One. Like, yep. Yeah. Um. But beyond that, I mean, it's been a while since any of us have been to a concert. Obviously, I worked at Stage A until everything got shut down. Um. I probably was... saw you there. I've been at Stage E like 800 times <laughs> since it's opened. Probably. I mean, I did uh, tickets for a little while, and then I did most of the upstairs stuff toward the end. But, I mean, who's the best act that you've ever seen live? And I know it's been a while since any of us have been to a show, but what was your last concert? Well, believe it or not, my last concert, because I love hair metal, too. Uh, and one of my last shows was Brett Michaels up in Green Greensburg at the uh, Palace Theater. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen Brett solo a bunch of times. Uh, I saw Poison back in the, and not originally when they were together, 
But when they reformed in the early 2000s, I saw him a bunch. But I've seen Brett Michaels so often. And what's so cool about him is he's from Butler. Yeah. And he never has forgotten that. He constantly, you know, reminisces about his days in Pittsburgh and he loves the Steelers. And if you look at his uh, his Twitter on like a Steeler game day or even Penguins now, he's like, it's you could tell it's like this canned gif from whenever. But it's like, oh, it's Steelers game day. Go get him, boys. And it's him t- uh, twirling yeah. a terrible towel or something. I think I saw him at Ribfest once. Like, that's how he did play at the Rib Fest here. Yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, my best show probably at AE just since you brought that up yeah. as a place you worked, I I've seen so many there. I, matter of fact, one of my favorite shows, just because it's the first time I saw them, I saw the band ghost, who was one of my favorites opening up for Mastodon back in 2012 before anybody even knew who they were. So that was kind of fun. Um, one of my favorites was also when anthrax put out worship music, which was two albums ago for them. I believe they played at AE with Testament, and Death Angel. That was one of my favorite shows just because from top to bottom, it was just three bands I really liked and it was a really good time and was there with like friends of mine that were like into it. And so we all had a really good time. Um, but overall, I think one of my favorites was I was lucky enough to see Metallica and Guns N' Roses when they toured together. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. Um, we waited like three hours for GNR to get on the stage and I was like a sophomore or junior in high school. So I probably just revealed my age to you. Um, but I saw that U2 at the Civic Arena once was really awesome. One of my favorite shows back in 2001, I think that one was. Um, and then I was lucky enough to see GNR when they came to the stadium just a few years ago. That was awesome. Just because we thought it was going to be a complete crap show because they just were doing it for the money. And it would just, you had to go to it though. And it wasn't, it was awesome. Axel was in perfect shape. Slash was awesome. Duff was awesome. And to see that trio back together again was really cool. And I'm sure changing so many great shows I've seen over the years with just a couple of those bigger ones. But I, I just wanted to kind of narrow that down to, to, I guess, a bigger name act. So everyone's probably like, what a poser. He said he likes all this music and he chose U2 as one of his favorite shows. <laughs> I mean, U2 is one of those bands that, I mean. They're awesome live. Yeah, I mean, I was supposed to see them when they did that that 360 tour, I think it was, uh, but I ended up going on vacation during the Pittsburgh show. But they're one of those bands that you kind of get shit for sometimes for liking. Like, I enjoy Coldplay, and I believe I was the only one who enjoyed the Super Bowl 50 halftime show. <laughs> hey, so, you know what? They had some good songs. I remember yeah. when they first came out, too. I think I have, like, the first two Coldplay albums, just to give you a more flavor of my collection. Yeah. Well, one funny U2 story about that 360 show that you're talking about. I saw Rob Zombie, who I've seen a bunch of times, too. And I was saw White Zombie a couple of times back in the day. But <laughs> Rob was playing at AE outdoors with somebody because he had to- a couple of those years. He came with Slayer. He came with Alice Cooper. He yeah. was here like every summer with somebody different. Well, one of those years was the year of the 360. And U2 was loading in like days ahead of that show. And they're doing all this. And Rob looks over. And he goes, what's going on over there? And the crowd screams, you too, you too. And Rob goes, oh, millionaires with a cause. It was awesome. That's cool. Because <laughs> that's what they are. They're millionaires yeah. with a cause. They're going to change the world, but they never do. And they get richer. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We, we really appreciate it. I know we went a little over how long we said we were going to. But we <laughs> oh, just it's okay. I've talked to you all night, as you can tell. Believe me, I, I tend to yammer on. And Nick, I have to say, I'm staring at you guys on my screen. He, you have you have the superstar look. You look like Max Talbot to me, and and on my screen tonight for some reason you have a little bit of Max Talbot in you. There you go. I know he's I talking know to you. I was just noticing it tonight. 
<laughs> I don't know who he's. We got two Nicks here. I could have been either of us, but hey. oh, uh, yeah, I, I, you know what, Nick? Maybe you're both looking like that. I did know that too, but I was so focused on <laughs> Briansky. Nick Briansky oh. looks like Max Talbot tonight. I'll, I'll definitely take it. And it's funny because our pens poll that we talk about at the end of the show is who's your favorite former player, and Max Talbot won that poll. So. We got awesome. a I, did, I didn't know you guys were both Knicks, too. I was just yeah. so focused looking. And I'm like, Nick, you look like Max Talbot. Nick, you don't look like Max Talbot. <laughs> Actually, uh, Matt Venzel gave me Chad Ruedel whenever so we we'll take it. him not that long ago. You probably have too much hair, but yes. That's I exactly what I said. Hat, I was wearing yeah. my hat at the, at the time. Last night, I just saw at the tail end, and I, not to, to go over again here, but uh, <laughs> they showed Chad on one of those um, Penguin shows, Penn's Pulse or whatever that comes on after the game, and Chad was being interviewed. For a moment, I felt terrible. I'm like, oh, is that somebody? Is that somebody who's sick? Because, like, I just saw him so quick, and then, oh wait, that's Chad Ruedel. He, <laughs> he looks so pale, even. Yeah. It's like get some sun, man. You know, I just I felt bad for him, but he, uh, it was just Chad Ruedel. But I can see it in your face. You do look like Chad Ruedel. <laughs> and it's bad because he's it. also from California, isn't he? Yeah. Great. <laughs> Who knew that you guys were doing this in and in, in, in above your, your hockey careers? <laughs> Just in our side time. But uh, like I said, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let us know what you got coming up or, or where our listeners can find you. Uh, yeah, you can find me, first of all, on Twitter at Brian underscore Metzer. Um, Instagram is the same handle, I believe. And I tr- pretty much post a picture a day as long as I'm staying up on it. I try and do that stupid, you know, one picture every single day. But mm-hmm. I'll be... Uh, been busy with the penguins radio network obviously that's all i'm really doing at the minute uh because it's been keeping me on my toes uh i will be every upcoming game that you can think of intermission reports post game show for all of them occasionally involved with the pregame as needed but paul steigerwald handles those duties right now but i am on every game broadcast doing that and we of course have our saturday morning show that runs on 105.9 X uh, here in Pittsburgh. Also available on iHeartRadio. If you look up that radio station, Penguins app carries it as well. And um, my website, which has not been updated in quite some time, but is my home for all of my writing these days, because I'm not affiliated with an outlet at the moment, is fromthepoint.com. So you mentioned that Matt Venzel. I'm angry with those guys because they stole from the point. Uh, I've had that website since 2010. And uh, I blame Jason Mackey because we were talking about my website at the draft in Dallas, probably when was that, four years ago or so? And suddenly the Post-Gazette had a feature called From the Point, and I blame Mackey for stealing the name from me. Well, hey. You <laughs> I'm calling everybody. See, you wanted like a wrestling promo. There it is. I'm telling you, brother, you stole my name. <laughs> you also mentioned uh, iHeartRadio. I, I also work with uh, Intercom Pittsburgh. So I saw that in your profile. Better. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I saw that in your profile. Keeps getting better for us, doesn't it? Well, yeah, isn't it? For Entercom, isn't that uh, like the radio.com stuff more yeah. than – Yeah, that's what I thought. See, yeah. and since I'm not affiliated with iHeart, I work directly for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay. I uh, my, my good buddy Chris Mack recently found that out, so I was doing a hit with him on the morning show. So I am available for any of your fan, uh, <laughs> your fan needs uh, in Pittsburgh, if need be. And it's not a cross-contamination of any kind because yeah. I don't work for iHeartRadio. It just so happens you can hear me on it from time to time. There it is. <laughs> One last time, Brian, thank you so much for joining it. We really appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. I hope we can do this again soon. And sorry it did take us so long to, <laughs> to get together here, but I'm glad we did because I had a blast.
What's up, y'all, and greetings from the hockey city of Smashville, home of the Nashville Predators, and home to a new hockey podcast, the Catfish and Ice Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Join hosts Chad Benton, Rich Howe, and Colin Bluen every week as we bring to you hard-hitting and unfiltered Nashville Predators hockey analysis while also diving into the entertainment and music world here in Music City. We have a lot of fun doing it. Now is the time to join us for the ride, hockey fans. New episodes of the Catfish and Ice podcast every Tuesday and Friday. Download the Catfish and Ice podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcast. Huge shout out once again to Brian Metzer for joining the show. We really appreciate him giving us his time. I know I really enjoy talking about some AEW wrestling. I know you probably enjoy talking a little bit more music on the show, which is a nice outlet for you. But we have a Pens poll still to come. And this was a fun Pens poll because we've asked a lot of questions about the team as is and about the season that's going on. And every once in a while, it's nice to ask a question about the past or who knows, maybe even we'll ask something about wrestling or, or, or music now that we've talked about it on today's show. But the question for this week was, which of these former pens are your favorite? Max Talbot won the poll with 41%, which I, I should have realized I was putting in a trump card with Maxime Talbot. But nonetheless, I did put him in and he won the poll at 41%. Then it got interesting with the last three. Paul Bissonette, Biz Nasty had 25% of the vote. Ryan Malone, Bugsy, the Pittsburgh kid, 18%. And I'm sorry to say, Wit Dog, but you came in dead last place But behind your two buddies and the superstar. 16% for Ryan Whitney. But Horwat, who did you vote for, and why were they your favorite? Um, well, first of all, before I get into to why I voted for where, someone in the comments made a great point about, I believe they made a great point about how this would have turned out had... Bissonette and Whitney not started a podcast because that's a great mm -hmm. point actually because I remember when Ryan Whitney was here he was kind of the whipping boy for a little bit and I'm sure yes. many people didn't look back fondly on his time in Pittsburgh until you know until we got this podcast and until it blew up the way it did and until they brought Paul Bissonette on who I'll be honest I didn't realize was a penguin <laughs> I knew he was on the nailers I totally didn't realize he played time with the penguins in regular season games, not much, but something. So I totally forgot about that. But um, and also Ryan Malone being on there, there's it just made me think. There's just a laundry list of guys you could just throw on there, and it could be a oh, good yeah. fight. I mean, Colby Armstrong comes to mind immediately. There's Mike Rupp is beloved in Pittsburgh for his season of work. Yes, exactly. And sticking around for. AT&T Sportsnet, but I went with Max Talbot, and it's not because of the two cup-winning goals. It's not because of the Superstar uh, commercial, but because, you know, every year, or every year except for this year, obviously, the Penguins do their season ticket giveaways, the handouts. Uh, the, like, I think it was the first or second year they did it. I don't remember exactly. I was in eighth grade. Uh, my family was chosen, and we got Max Talbot. So... For whatever year that was, I believe it was, I want to say it was like the season directly after he scored those two goals. Um, or like the one after that, whichever. Uh, Max Talbot came to my house and delivered my season tickets for that year. And that was cool. Um, and it's and that little event they do has only gotten cooler ever since because I do believe it was only like the first year they did it, first or second. 
and my family was chosen. So it was a ton of fun. It's a really cool thing. In fact, that towel that is right next to, as I knock my desk around, that towel is signed by him, actually. So the one next oh. to the Buffalo Sabres jersey, that's signed by Noted. him. Noted. I will make sure to steal that the next time I visit you. And then I also have my, my first Crosby jersey is signed by him, too. So it makes a ton of sense having that around, right? Exactly. <laughs> but that's why I, I have him. a... Uh... I have a Matt Cook signed puck that I got signed at an Altoona Curve game in which I threw out the first pitch. So you want to talk about randomly signed stuff? I, I think I have not as much as a Max Talbot signed Crosby jersey, but I, I have a foot to stand on in that conversation. Actually, right down in this little box where I pulled the yearbook out from, I have the I have a Brian Trottier signed photo and a Manny Sanguian signed photo. So. But did you get the Manny Sanguian signed photo at Manny's Barbecue at PNC Park? I would assume so. This thing is really old. I don't even know if it was mine. Ah, fair and enough. Then, I know I got a baseball glove signed by Manny Sanguian at Manny's Barbecue at PNC Park. And then I looked at it and said, well, I guess I'm not using my baseball glove anymore. My, <laughs> I had to go out and buy a new baseball glove for the next game. My Clemente jersey, my gray one, is signed by him too. And there then I go. have but, the Milkshake Factory Jake Gensel autograph up on the corner over there. It's on this. I, I like how I'm tilting my yeah. head like I can actually it's see it. It's on the no, wall it, to my left and next to the hats, so you really can't see it, but it is up there. Yeah, I voted for Max Talbot too, but I mean, mainly because of everything. I mean, yes, you have the two goals, him being the hero of Game 7 in 2009, the first Stanley Cup that we saw as alive human beings for the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's obviously huge. But realistically, when I was writing this down, I was kind of writing about personality and, listen, to hang out, with any of these guys, I'd probably like to hang out with Bugsy a little bit the most in Pittsburgh, mainly because it sounds like he had a good time when he was with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and let's ignore everything else that happened uh, post the Pittsburgh Penguins, but Whitney is great, Bissonette is great, and he they're correct. Neither of them would be even on this list if it wasn't for their podcast, but guess what? They do a podcast. They do the number one hockey podcast in the world. So yeah, they're on this list for a reason. They're former Penguins. They're killing it right now, and they're great personalities. That's why I thought of them. And that podcast has brought back a ton of old of old Penguin memories. If you yeah. go back and look at some of the clips, highlights that they've talked about, I've it's opened up a lot in my mind that I totally forgot about. So good on them for doing all that. It's not obviously it's not a Penguins podcast, but I mean, no. there's a lot of Penguin history involved in it. I mean. Go look up the Sidney Crosby interview, and it's worth its weight in gold, that's for sure. But as you mentioned, there's obviously a lot of names that we could put on this list. I mean, we had a lot of them last year in the March of the Penguins Madness tournament that we did, which was pretty much exactly a year ago, right after COVID hit, and we had to figure something else out to do. Happy bracket season, but yeah. everyone. Yeah. But Max Talbot is Max Talbot. He's beloved for so many reasons. Of course, you have the Philly, the, the shushing in Philly. And really, the reason I went with this and I watched that clip at least 100 times last week when I was looking at this poll was the number one Cochrane superstar. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please look up, look it up on YouTube. I should probably post it. I probably should have posted it last week, but I'll probably post it on our Iceberg Podcast Twitter account this week. And yeah, I was not surprised in the least that Max Talbot came out on top because he is, for those two goals alone going to be revered in Pittsburgh as a top penguin forever. But Bissonette, Malone, Whitney, I thought that was pretty interesting, especially because of how close all three of those guys were. So it was nice to see how close the competition between the three of them were. And it was funny to see Paul Bissonette, who was probably the worst of them on the penguins, be the best of them in voting about what, 
eight years later. Yeah. It's more like more than eight years, probably like 10 years later. Like I said, I forgot he was even on the professional, the professional team. Yep. And he's got, he was in Sweden. Yeah. When they went to Stockholm. I remember rewatching that old clip and doing a double take. Like, is that Paul Bissonnette? Forgot he was yep. there with Sidney Crosby in the scavenger hunt. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he's got his moment there. And plus he's got, he's got great minor league stories about this organization too. Mm-hmm. It's incredible stuff. So, yeah, and like I said, those guys got stories for days on this team. Um, one of my favorite, it was during the Crosby interview, was the when Ryan Whitney and George LaRock uh, raced, did their little <laughs> speed skating race. Um, but there's some great anecdotes from those guys. So, yeah, shout out to them as well. I mean, hey, uh, Ryan Whitney made the best drink out of all of them, so he's got something going for him. Yeah, I guarantee you, you have, and I know I have, a bottle of Pink Whitney on, on my bar cart right now. So I'm staring at two, like, half-used bottles. Yeah, and, and as I posted something on Facebook last week about asking some of my friends to share memories of me, somebody, and you know what, I wasn't going to name him, but yeah, Dylan Kayser, who is one of the co-creators of the Hockey Podcast, and just simply put Pink Whitney, and if you watched thbn after hours at all last summer you know exactly why but i'll leave it at that horwat any last words for our listeners before we let them go before thursday uh i got nothing other than you know what i'm going to the game again monday i think thanks matt i um, hate you I, yeah I, I really do i hadn't told anyone <laughs> that yet um but yeah we're well, now you told everybody that listens to the podcast which is actually a decent number yeah so uh, but it's it's a game where I won't be excited to spend a lot of money on beer. I will be probably sitting tense because we're playing Boston. So we'll see how it goes. There you go, buddy. Everyone well, two big games against Boston. Let's hope the Pittsburgh Penguins can knock out two victories like they did the last two games against Buffalo, like they did the previous two games against the Rangers. Let's hope the Penguins keep that going and roll straight through on a seven-game win streak when we come to you on Thursday. Again, hoping for the best there. Thank you again to Brian Metzer for joining the show. And that's going to be it. We'll see you guys Thursday. You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from. So please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.